Teachings in the Air with Sahil Thit. Today's podcast is called Free Sahil Thit. Liberate Sahil Thit. You know, and it's about my mental health journey in Canada. You know, as stated before in other podcasts, you know, I come from uh, my early childhood. I was raised in a safe, inclusive environment. My parents were wonderful parents and made sure I was fed, clean, disciplined, taught how to be part of by doing chores with my brothers, you know, packing wood, packing water, cutting wood, you know, being part of our our life in the home. I remember my first responsibility in our home was um, the fire starter in the wintertime. And my dad gave me that job. And we had two stoves. Um, one was what they call a heater, which would be the one that warms the house. Then there's a cook stove is also used wood that my mother would cook on. You know, that was our... So in the morning, you know, the night the fire would go out, so I thought I have kingling, fire starter, you know, and to start the fire in the morning. And I remember just telling you this history of Sahilthit. I'd be laying in, be- in my bed, you know, and um, I'd hear my late father, Jerry, Spamsham, which means Jerry, go start the fire. And I'd lay there and he'd say it again. By the third time, his voice would change and I knew, oh, he knows I'm awake. So <laughs> I'd jump up and I'd run downstairs and start the fire. I didn't know then I was helping the family or anything. It was a job that my, my father gave me. So that is my first responsibility. I was able to respond. I was able to do that, to strike a match and start the fire. As the fire grew, I'd add bigger pieces of wood. And once it's going good, I'd run back to bed. So that, you know, as as a baby, we're all in a pure state, pure human beings. You know, and I was pure. I didn't have any anger in me or resentment or the mental health issues of today. And usually those are based on anger, fear, or depression. I didn't have that as a baby. And as a young infant, you know, right until five years old, it was basically a pure human being. No fear, you know, I was well fed, like I was saying, and it was healthy. So in my mental health journey, all of a sudden, I experienced trauma. And it is in the Canadian system of education, the elementary school, where I first started to know fear, shame. You know, from making a mistake. I'd make a mistake in my arithmetic and I'd get slapped around the face and the ears, you know, and there's violence. And that first negative physical experience for Sahilthit molded my life for a good many years. A 
until I achieved healing and could purify myself from that experience. I became from that physical violence. Then there was verbal violence happening at the same time in Canada. And I would hear as a child that we were stupid Indians, we're lazy, we're crazy, we're drunken. And I would hear these descriptions of myself and my family and all indigenous people. And of course that had impact on me as well. It started then where I needed help with mental health. I started to feel that I'm not good enough to feel worthless as a child. As I grew, I started to feel like a failure. And that brings problems when you, anyone thinks there's a failure, that they're not good enough and that they don't belong, I don't belong. So that first feeling of insecurity low self-esteem, which means I didn't value myself, that I didn't feel that I had a right, you know, to being me. So I started to, um, you know, when that verbal violence is based on racism, and it created identity issues for Sahilthit. First off, I'm not indigenous enough that I'm not I'm not truly an indigenous person because I do not speak the language or no traditional music or dance or ceremony and ritual. Then I'm not indigenous. I actually heard when I was young, you know, a young teenager that I was an apple Indian, which means red on the outside and white on the inside. And of course that hurt, hurt my feelings. And because of that, I started to lose focus. I started to be confused with my identity. And you know, oddly enough, maybe it's not so odd, it was intentional. I internalized the created identity for all indigenous people. There was an identity created for us that were inferior, that our ways of life were inferior to this European-based way of life, that there's something wrong with us. We call it pathologizing, that we're all got mental health problems, we're stupid, we're crazy, all of those that created identity. You know, to be young and to feel shame and confusion. You don't, I didn't even feel angry yet. I was just so, I'd be ashamed. And that's a bad place to be for anyone. You know, this created identity raised havoc with my self-worth. My desire to have a, a life. You know, when we're victims, when I was a victim of that created identity, the victim, I said victim of that created identity, the victim actually, the true meaning of victim was a sacrificial animal, usually a lamb, a young sheep, and a Middle East, you know, with uh, those ones, they'd sacrifice animals to God. And when I found out, I said, what am I a sacrifice for if I'm a victim? And of course, it's to put us down as indigenous people so that uh, 
land can be taken, the resources, the trees, the gold, the water, the farmland, everything on the land. So when I became a victim, all victims from trauma, and trauma means to be wounded, they become angry, depressed, and anxious. Anxious means they're afraid. Did Sahilthit become angry? Of course I became angry. But I became angry at the church, the government. That's who I was angry with. And it, you know, and I've, I've thought about this for years. Like, for instance, the word government. Actually, government is made up of all elected officials, so government on its own doesn't have feelings. You know, it's the people that are elected that have the feelings. And obviously their feelings were not aimed at positively at indigenous people. We were called the Indian problem. And of course I heard that as a child too. That I'm a problem. My people are a problem. And that impacted me at a very serious, deep level. To grow up thinking you're a problem as a child because as children we absorb whatever's coming at us, we take it in. We don't question, I didn't question it. Took it in. And I believed there was something wrong with me. There's something wrong with Sahilthit. Because I'm depressed, I'm angry, I'm afraid. So, as any human being, when you're troubled, or you feel like you're in trouble, there's problems, and you don't know what to do with it, you look for something to help you. And it was so unfortunate that what I turned to was alcohol and drugs to help me forget, to help me feel good. Because you know how it is, all those of you that have drank alcohol, that you have the first few drinks and you start to relax. I knew that from experience. I'd be depressed and I'd go to the beer parlor and have a glass of beer and after two I'd be feeling all right, no more problems. Which was a lie, the problems were still there. So I became addicted. You know, I'm thinking negative about myself, about my people. In a sense, I became a quitter. I quit trying to be successful. I became what I was thinking. Attitude means you're talking and acting the way you think, what you believe. So I was listening to, I'll say society, saying there's something wrong with those indigenous people. And I was processing that, taking it in, and I became what I was thinking. I became negative, I became drunk, I became angry. So, like many, and this is the good news, this is about liberation, this is about freedom. You know, that I started to free myself of that negativity. I started to change. I became hungry for healing. And I was, as I was thinking of this freedom and liberation, I thought, okay, what's, what's the requirements to do this? To go on to the healing road? 
to become purposeful, to become part of. And I thought, well, the first thing is to commit, make a commitment that I want to change. I'm tired of, sick and tired of this negative life. I'm not happy the way I'm living. So to make that commitment, I'm going to change. So that's the first, that's what happened to Sahil. I got sick and tired of being sick and tired and I made a commitment, I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop doing drugs. That is my commitment. Which when I look back at was the easy part. Because it simply means I did not pick up the bottle anymore. Because I was picking up the bottle. I was taking the drugs. So when I made the commitment, I'm not going to do this, I could do that. Then, I, I, for years, I don't know how many years, I said, I'm going to quit. But I keep going back. I'd fall off the wagon and I'd start drinking and doing drugs, you know. So it became like a cycle thing. The requirement that was missing for me after my commitment was to confess to others, to admit to others I have a problem. My life is unmanageable with alcohol. As soon as I said the words, my name is Jerry and I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict, I confessed to people. I acknowledge that I am, I have problems. As soon as I done that, my commitment became stronger to change, to stop. But I had to admit to other human beings that I have a problem, I have problems. And that was I remember when I when I admitted to people, my name is Jerry and I'm an alcoholic. It's just like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. And I look back and it was actually silly that I was walking around not pretending I wasn't an alcoholic because it was so obvious. When I drink, I would black out, you know, my nose would get red, you know, and I wouldn't know what I was doing, and it was like that every time I drank. End up being picked up for drunkenness and go to the drunk tank, you know, and, uh, you know, so, and I look back, I sort of laughed there, because I was thinking how crazy that was for me to have a hard time to confess, because it's so obvious to others Jerry's got a problem. So I was in denial that I had a problem. But soon as I broke that and I told people, I'm an alcoholic, my change, my power to change became stronger. And then I could start to collaborate or work with others with the same problem to start to go connect with cultural people that were doing ceremony. I started to socialize with people that were sober. I go to sober dances and I have such fun there. It was so, you know, because I used to go to dances and we wouldn't start dancing until we were drunk. And I went to a sober dance, everybody's dancing and I'm watching and I go, whoa, hey, I can do that too. And I'd start... So we start, I started to socialize and mix with people that had stopped drinking and doing drugs. And a lot of them weren't Alcoholics Anonymous, but a lot of them were cultural people too, traditionalists. You know, they were doing ceremony, harvesting medicine, singing, hand drumming, powwowing. I started to collaborate with them, to reach out to them and be with them. And that's a big part of my saving grace, you know, that I'm still here today. And the other part of this requirement to change, to heal, 
is to be consistent. So I would go consistently at the start to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. Then I started to be consistent with ceremony, using medicines like smudge, chewing on roots, going to a sweat lodge, bathing in the cold water, consistently, day after day. And I started to become stronger, easier to say no to someone and say, hey, Jerry, let's go drink. Are you going to do some drugs? You know, and I'd say, no, 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 I'm not that way anymore. Became easier. So those are the requirements. Commitment to confess, to collaborate, to be consistent. I became, it became my lifestyle. And that's what you're after, is to change a lifestyle. To be positive. To be able to do this, I had liberators, freedom fighters, people that helped me to be free. And uh, the, the ones, when I look back on it and I remember, the first one was what I call tough love relative. You know, it was actually my late mother. I got arrested for stealing alcohol. And I was in jail. My late mother and father come to liberate me, free me from the jail cell. And I remember I was talking to my mother, my late mother, and I told her, Mom, I'm so ashamed of myself. And she looks at me and she says, Son, you're ashamed of yourself? You know what they're saying out there in our community? They're not talking about you, Jerry. They're saying Pat and Martina's son's in jail for stealing alcohol. It's just like, first time I could see the results of my actions from those words how I impacted other human beings and my parents who I loved. Because I was just thinking about myself. So that, that is a big lesson for me. And I said, I'm never going to steal again. And I haven't. And then from there I stopped the alcohol and drugs. There were other relatives that would tell me to smarten up because they loved me. They cared about me. They would make suggestions. Some of my uncles, some of my cousins. Then, of course, I had teachers in my life, and those were the elders and knowledge keepers that would teach me. They're not teaching me about alcohol and drugs but about how to heal myself. Oh, I'm just so thankful I had one teach me how to build a sweat lodge. That to use it to purify myself, to strengthen myself, to cleanse myself. I'm so lucky to have that. Or to talk to me about going early in the morning to go bathe in the cold water to give myself to the water, to strengthen myself. Because, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to do that. I didn't like it. I didn't like getting into the cold water. My feet and hands would be cold, you know, it felt miserable, but I committed that I'm going to do this. Thank goodness I made that commitment. Every day, all year long, I go bathing in the cold water. And what, and I'm thankful for this, what got me into it was my cousin, my uncle's son, said, Jerry, you do it, I'll do it. That's the one case where 
I used to wish people quit drinking with me, but of course nobody would. Seems like it. But my cousin said, "I'll, I'll, I'll join you with this ceremony, which is cold water bathing." He says, "We don't have to do it together. We'll just go do it." I says, "Okay." So I'd start and I'd go down and I'd get in the cold water. And the only way we knew we were both still doing it. Because we go to the same place, but we go at different times. Was when it started snowing. Sometimes I'd be a little late, and I'd go down, and I could see his footprints in the snow, going into the lake. And sometimes he'd see my footprints going into the snow. <laughs> so he and I started using that medicine, and I believe it helped me so much with my willpower. Strengthened my will to stay on this path. Not drinking, not being negative, you know, because I would go in. And I started to talk to the water because they instructed us to talk to the water. And it took me a while to listen to that teaching, but I started saying, Water, I need help. I'm giving myself to you. And the cold water bathing became enjoyable after that. I'd feel awake, I'd feel connected, I'd feel alert going into that cold water. And I started to stay in there longer and enjoy this experience. You know, and the other knowledge keepers taught me, like I was saying about the sweat lodge. And my late mother told me how to make the fire and she says, only thing I'm going to tell you, son, is you make those rocks red. You make it hot in there. And of course, you put the medicines on there and do, do, do those things. So I started to do that. My ears and toes would burn in there, you know, and it's hot, you know, and I just keep at it. Go in the water after, come back in, you know, and and that helped my willpower too. Because that teaching, make it hot, son. She says, so hot when you go out in the cold water, you don't feel the water for a while. So I followed that teaching. And the combination of the medicines and the prayers and the songs, because I started to sing songs in there, helped me to look at myself, to change myself, to get new ideas, to get new thoughts about how to live. That come from the knowledge keepers, the ones that kept the sweat lodge alive, the benefits of cold water bathing, using medicines to clear myself, to cleanse myself, to strengthen myself. Because I just smell, for instance, sweet grass. I just light it, and immediately, as soon as I smell it, I start to feel positive, more positive. I'm usually a positive guy, but when I smell the sweet, sweet grass, well, it even strengthens it. Or the sage, the cedar, and the juniper, when I burn it, I can feel it. It's doing something to me. It's strengthening me. It's cleansing me. So I learned that from the knowledge keepers, the healers, that were doing the ceremonies. we go in and they would talk to us. The elder in the sweat lodge, oh, I thank you for coming to join me today. I'm glad you're here. You know, that kindness, that encouragement kept me going back. I wanted to be there. I wanted to do this. Those were my liberators. They're the ones that fr helped free me from myself, my own self-harm, my own negative thinking. It was from those ones. So this freedom road is a good road to free yourself of negativity, to free myself of 
beating myself up because I was good at that. Oh, you're not a good son. You're not a good brother, uncle, in, indigenous person. You know, I beat myself up. Before I started to do the ceremony and the ritual and sitting down with people in circle, whether it's AA or a sharing circle, a healing circle, once I started doing that, I connected with other human beings and I found out I'm not alone with my problems. Some of them experienced the same. One of them said to me, you know, there's teachers that taught me. And he says, you cannot say goodbye to your problems until you say hello to them. That was a big teaching to me. That's part of acknowledging or confessing to people I have a problem and I want to fix it. So I started to say hello to my problems and I could say goodbye to them. There are still problems I'm saying hello to. And some of them don't seem to want to go away, so that means I must have other approaches. I must find another way not to give up. So to maintain myself, to keep on this road, because the problems are still there, You're still, we still have suicide, uh, dropouts from education system, lots of people with diabetes. I shouldn't say lots, we have many with diabetes, different health problems, poverty, all of those things. So to maintain myself, I needed to have a self-care wellness plan to take care of myself. A maintenance plan. Just like when I have a car, and I change the oil, and I rotate the tires, I do all of that stuff, that car is going to last. It's going to bring me places. I've learned to maintain my vehicle. I had to learn to maintain myself, to do maintenance on Jerry. I start with diet, you know, cut down junk food. I used to be a junk food junkie, you know, potato chips, pop, hamburger, greasy food, you know, the greasier the better. <laughs> It became like a comfort food for me. But I became what I ate. You know, I became overweight, I out of shape, not didn't have the strength. So I had to start to change my diet, cut down sugar and salt. It was a gradual thing. I still enjoy some junk food every once in a while. But I made a commitment. I'm going to take care of this body. And I'm going to have less problems. And sure enough, that's true. And also for my mental health, when I started to exercise, my principal exercise was running. Because I quit the team sports, because uh, there was still, you know, in res team sports when I was doing fastball and soccer and things, there was still a lot of drinking with it. So I said, I can't go there. I don't want to go there. So I stopped doing that. So I started to do running. I'd run every day when I really made that commitment to running. And the way I'd done it was I'd go to 10K runs, half marathons, and eventually marathons. And to do those long runs, I had to train consistently. That means run consistently. And I was doing that. And it was such a help for my mental health to sweat, breathe deep, you know, and I'd run at different speeds and training, you know, I'd run fast as I could for two light pole lengths, you know, in the city. And I'd just jog for another, another, till the next pole, power pole, and then I'd run fast as I can again. So I was alternating my running. And of course I would sweat, and I'd be doing deep breathing, but I'd feel so good after. 
I had accomplished something, and I feel strong, I feel good. So I exercise, and I started, of course, um, stretching and warm-up, cool-downs. The other part of the exercise that really helped me was going on canoe journeys. We'd paddle eight, ten hours a day. We'd leave with the tide, you know, because don't want to paddle against the tide. So sometimes we'd leave at four or five in the morning. I just loved that exercise of paddling all day long. Once I got conditioned to it, I would do, I'd start training before the canoe journey by running and developing my shoulders and my arms so I can paddle all day. Such a wonderful feeling to be in a canoe with 10 or 11 other people and paddling together all day long, singing songs, you know, sharing food, became part of my wellness. Another part is uh, my mental health journey to be healthy mentally was social activity by going to powwows, going to potlatches, chanting, sharing circles, you know, doing those activities. Celebrations, celebrating somebody getting a name, celebrating with people, feeling good. So that's my wellness maintenance plan, was to be with people in positive circles, to do cultural activities, ceremonies, rituals. I just love playing stick game or hand game, going to powwows, going to gatherings that were traditional, exercising, watching my diet, reading positive books, listening to positive people. That's my maintenance plan. That's my self-care. That's my wellness plan. Wellness means an active pursuit for help for your mind, your body, and your spirit. This podcast is about mental health, so maintenance for my mind, to keep my mind strong, comes from the exercise and the ceremony. That's what keeps my mind strong. So now that I've been on this road, I think of the benefits and the gifts for my commitment to live this way, because it's a way of life. It's all year long. It's not an exercise program. It's not a program. It's a way of life. I sweat once a week, sometimes twice a week. Usually every year I'll do a four-day sweat, so I'll do it four days in a row. But always consistently I'm doing it once a week, Saturday or Sunday. I'm cutting wood, I'm covering my lodge, I'm getting ready for a ceremony to look at myself, to cleanse myself, to become stronger. That's what that sweat does for me helps my muscles. I get aches and pains. I'm starting to get arthritis. But when I go on there and I blow on my knees and my elbows, I can feel it helping me. It's a wonderful maintenance to do a cultural ceremony. I sing in there, even though I'm by myself in there. I'm singing songs or I'm composed. I'm starting to compose songs now. And it starts in the sweat, being in that darkness and that heat with that medicine. And I'll start composing music. It's, it's such a treasure. It's such a gift. And I thank those knowledge keepers that kept this alive. Because it was outlawed in this country. Our ceremonies were outlawed. They were forbidden. It's against the law to do it. 
but our knowledge keepers refuse to let it go, and I celebrate that, and I thank them today to help me with my life. So the benefits are, you know, I, I sleep good. I still get troubled sometimes and toss and turn, but that's very rare. And I lay down and I, I start counting my breathing. Take a deep breath in. I'll breathe out and I'll say one, two, three. It's just like, remember when you used to go to the dentist or the doctor and they put you to sleep and they say count backwards from a hundred, you know. Well, I do that counting forward. And I can't remember what number I go to sleep at. But I count. It calms my mind down, so I, and I say, okay, I want to wake up at 5. I don't use an alarm clock. I say, I want to wake up early, so I'm going to go to sleep, and I count, and I fall asleep. And sure enough, sometimes right at 5 or before 5, I wake up. That's the benefit of having strong mind, because that's what literally mental health is is when we don't have a strong mind, I got in trouble. My mind was weak. I became a quitter. I turned to drugs and alcohol. Another benefit besides good sleep is I started to feel the beauty in the world and the music and the trees and the mountains and the rivers and the lakes art, indigenous art, other art forms. I started to feel that beauty. Not only see it and hear it, but feel it. It's such a powerful feeling to feel beauty of nature, of other human beings. It strengthens me. Just those benefits by itself is good. And I'm sure also, like some of the knowledge keepers would say, when you do this way of life, it'll extend your life. And I'm starting to see that now. I'm 74. I was wondering at one time if I didn't exercise, didn't watch my diet, didn't do ceremonies, maybe I'd be a sickly person now. <laughs> Probably that's true. So it's a prevention too. So that awareness to be able to taste the food, see the beauty, hear and feel the beauty from the sound, from the music, from laughter, from children. You know, and feel those hugs and people give you a hug or shake your hand, that acknowledgement, that confession that I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad you're part of my life. You know, that's a benefit from having good mental health. You have a purposeful, meaningful life. Some of the knowledge keepers I'd hear, I hear their words, I hear the echo today. Stand up and be counted, this one man from the United States, I heard him say that. Stand up and be counted, be somebody, be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And I hear another knowledge keeper say, garbage in, garbage out, free yourself. Don't keep that garbage in you. You become garbage if you don't free yourself of that garbage. And garbage, of course, is negative thoughts and actions that are aimed at you. Don't keep it. Out it goes. Get rid of it. Free yourself. So I have a purpose today. And it's to help where I can, other human beings and Mother Earth. Recycle, respect Mother Earth every day. It's part of my purpose. And to stand up and to be counted and to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. That's my purpose today. And it's a good, I feel good with that. My life has meaning. 
There's a reason I'm here. I'm part of the solution. That's my perspective on life. That's my worldview. I'm here to help. I'm here to be po- here to be part of it in a positive way. To give when I can. To appreciate what's given to me. Not to take things for granted, people for granted. Not to take anything for granted. But to have that attitude of gratitude. I'm thankful for what I have. I celebrate what I have today. So that's what this mental health, when I say free, so heals it. I'm talking about free him of negativity. Don't let Sahilthit be negative. Free him, liberate him from negativity. <laughs> That's all I ask. Don't let me be negative. You know, and I think of, uh, when I talk about knowledge keepers, my grandmother was a big one, my mother's side. I didn't know my dad's mother. She left before I come. Come to. But my grandmother. Asquisha kal kalut. Kal means like it's a description of spoiled meat or spoiled fish, and if you eat it, it'll kill you. Kal. Bad. Toxic. She's saying, don't you use words that are toxic or bad when you're speaking to people. It'll make them want to attack you or even me, son. They might come after me. So you don't use bad words. Don't swear at people. So I say good words. I'm careful and sincere with my words. Do I make mistakes? Yes. But when I do, I'm very sorry, you know, that I hurt your feelings because I spoke to you in a certain way. I wasn't being careful or sincere. When I make those mistakes, I feel it and I feel terrible and I want to make up, I want to apologize. I want to make up for doing that. Then the other thing, she says, Don't walk around like you're better than other people. You're not, son. You're a good, you're a good boy, you know, you're a good son. But don't act like you're better than others. She'd say to me, and I'm walking around thinking I'm better than others. Soon she'd say, I'd stop in my tracks, and I'd look at myself, and I'd say, oh, I have to change. That's the impact my granny had on me. You know, and that's a good teaching. People don't want to be around you if you think you're better than them, if you're thinking you're better than other people. When I lost my will to live, my life became hateful to me. That's when I needed the healing, and I'm grateful today, and I thank the healers and the knowledge keepers. Because of them, I'm here today. So I'd like to close this podcast by thanking them for being so generous with me with their teachings and their ceremonies and their rituals and their role modeling of how to be a good man, a good person. I want to thank them. And I want to be like them today. And I work at it every day. So I'd like to encourage you to to take this way of life on. It's an indigenous way to be generous, to be respectful, to take care of your mind. Don't let it become negative. So you have a good summer. Summer's coming and we're still in spring. You have a good spring and good summer. Take care of yourself. Look at yourself. Make a decision. Remember the four C's of change, the requirements for you to change. 
to liberate yourself, to free yourself. You know, and we all, I had, I had to do this to come to where I am today. You know, to, to be free. To believe in myself. To believe in the people. And that was a commitment, to make commitments, to keep my commitments, to be brave and let people know when I'm in trouble and when I need help, to work with people, to collaborate with people, to work with them, to do it together. We can do what I cannot do. And to be consistent. Every day, when I'm at home, I burn medicine. I've been in a hotel now for a couple of days and I can't burn medicine in there, which is not an excuse I can burn it outside, you know. But I didn't bring any, so I miss that. I was thinking about that this morning. I said, oh, I wish I had my smudge bowl, my medicines, because it keeps me. It frees me. It frees, it heals it liberates, so heals it, strengthens, so heals it, that medicine. So hopefully something good for you comes out of this podcast about maintenance, about healing for the mind. Because I worry about, you know, I hear people hurting each other and hurting each other. And I think, I do believe it's a mental health issue. So that's why I do this podcast, so people can learn how to free themselves, how to be themselves. I learned to be Jerry, not to be anybody else, but just to be Jerry or Sahilthit. That's the goal, that's the mission for me, to be myself, to be free. So I just want to wish you uh, good luck on your liberating yourself. Remember, there are people that will help you. Free yourself. People have helped me. Thank you.